0: Hey, deserving listeners. Today's episode, I talk with Bob, and I actually recorded the whole episode, and I'm going back and recording this intro later in the day, because the episode was going to be a free episode. We were reading emails, but then we got off topic, kind of, and we got into some very, very difficult things and very vulnerable things for Bob in particular, but also for me. And when that sort of thing happens, I... I don't know. There's just something about it being available to everyone on the internet, literally to seven and a half billion people, and I, I don't, I don't feel super comfortable with that. And so, I'm just going to make this patron only. So, if you're not a patron of the podcast, um, you're not going to hear this whole episode. But if you are a patron, you are going to hear it. If you're not a patron, you want to become a patron. You can go to patreoncom become a patron. You'll, you'll get to hear this episode and many others. But in this episode, um, and a major, major trigger warning as well with this because we get into issues of self-hatred and emptiness and Bob really goes deep. He he's gone deep before, but maybe probably not this deep and then you know we talk about our own friendship and our own issues and you know when you when people talk about self-hatred especially in psychology, we can talk about it in this very intellectual way and emptiness as well. But when you hear it actually described by Bob, and he gets into his abuse and his childhood, and and it all makes sense that the uh, way that people will beat themselves up and the way that abuse continues to plague people, you know, Bob's always led the way with this. I, I don't know anyone like him in the world. I mean, maybe the people like him exist, but I don't know anyone like him, and, and he really goes for it in this episode and models... What it's like to be a human being who has an abuse history, really. And, and again, just as I describe it, it just sounds like a simple conversation, but it's not. It's, it got real. Um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation like this before. So, anyway, uh, again, trigger warning because we get into self hatred, and if you suffer from that, then. That can be kind of rough. And also, if you suffer from feelings of emptiness, when, you know, like the abyss, when you look into yourself, that you you find that you feel empty, that can be pretty triggering as well. And so you just want to, you know, be very careful. It doesn't mean you can't listen to it, but I would talk with your therapist and maybe take a break, check in with yourself, that kind of thing. But... Anyway, the episode starts with us just having a normal episode, and then over time it it starts to meander. All right. So if you're not a patron, this will end, but if if you are a patron, then you'll hear the rest. So, Bob, I have a bunch of emails. Let's read them and answer them. What do you say? Yes, let's read them. Let's answer them. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk I'm a therapist
1: and a professor and an old friend of Bob's. Who are you, Bob? That's true. Uh, a therapist in practice here in Seattle. And uh, 26 years we've known each other.
0: 26 years. Yeah.
1: 26 years. Yeah.
0: Almost 26 years, right? It'd be come, 26 in... Come fall. October, yeah. 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 Somehow God. it seems longer than that, honestly. Uh, I, you know, I, I've crossed this threshold where everything seems like it was 35 years ago. Yeah. you know, Something actually wow. happened recently where I was like, oh, that was... That was only 21 years ago. And I'm, and I'm like, I feel less old in yeah. something that was only 21 years right. ago. Right. Anyway, uh, l- listener Sasha says, I have a preoccupied attachment style and my boyfriend has an avoidant attachment style. Mm-hmm. Why does he find it strange when I cry? He wants to get away from me so badly when I cry. Sometimes I cry during an argument. Sometimes I cry when I'm overwhelmed because I'm a first time mom. He thinks of me as being childish and not strong. And by the way, he was neglected a lot growing up. Bob, what do you think?
1: Oh, I think your tears are just a trigger for him. And those uh, characterizations of you are just a way for him to cope with the fact that he's triggered. You know, the hard part about the whole thing is... um, we often look outward and we say, well, and like in this case, we say, well, it's the crying that's the problem. And we don't get a chance to look inward and say, there's something about this that's upsetting me. When you have tears, I feel maybe it's anxious or something. And the story that I tell myself about your tears is that, you know, I'm responsible or... I'm going to get engulfed by your intensity or something. And what it does is it makes me want to, you know, distance from you or dismiss your tears or whatever. Um, So there's a possibility that, um, you know, based on what you're saying that, that you could with your partner, you know, explore that um, and learn about that. But it's the kind of thing that um, um, it can be hard to have insight about. Because oftentimes we do. We experience our feelings in terms of the other person's behavior. I'd feel better if you stopped crying. It's actually true. He would feel better if you weren't having tears. But your tears are completely natural and normal and part of the fabric of being a human. So they're going to happen. And so um, um, that's not realistic or necessary.
0: Yeah, I've never heard of that before. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Uh, I would feel better if you stopped crying. Yeah, And so as a heuristic, I'm going to now shame you for crying because I want you to stop because I will feel better if you stop crying.
1: Right. Which turns out to be true.
0: Which is true, but myopic because uh, in the long run, that's not going to help. Yeah. So the other, the only other thing I'll add to this is toxic masculinity is a thing. And part of it is this Mm. notion of weakness and uh, crying and emotion you know the patriarchy is intent on shaming anything associated with women and and our culture associates emotions and crying with women even though everyone mm. cries mm. uh in fact i've been crying a lot lately because oh, yeah? uh, at the point of this recording my cat is scheduled to be euthanized soon
1: oh no yeah. i'm sorry
0: yeah and oh. Uh, it is her she's old and her kid all or several of her organs are failing and the vet said that even uh extreme measures would only give her a you know a month or something and Mm -hmm. and so wow anyway if i wasn't a therapist or hadn't been going through a lot of therapy Mm -hmm. i don't know but i wouldn't cry as easily Mm -hmm. especially in front of other people and Mm -hmm it would because of the stupid patriarchy and toxic masculine things that have been yeah. pumped into my head and right. and just general anti emotion and anti crying in our society so you know it's really mm-hmm. common yeah um and anyway so i just want to emphasize that i'm re- we're recording this earlier and posting it later so uh, yeah. Anyway, I just feel like yeah. I should. Some people kind of. Oh. Anyway, right. Um.
1: Oh, I'm sorry about your cat. Yeah. Wow.
0: I mean, she's been declining the past six months, and I've mm-hmm. sort of resigned. I, you know, I, but it just it you never know, makes it never, easy.
1: No. And she's such a great cat. Yeah. She's a talker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As people know on the podcast. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know I've. She's been in my life for so long. God, how long has it been? Uh thirteen years. Wow. Back in the old Lake City house. You know? Really? That's, that's when I got her,
1: yeah. Holy, that's a long time. That's yeah. a couple of houses ago. <laughs> uh that's three, three houses ago. Yeah. yeah. And
0: um Wow. Yeah, and she was she was already a couple years old to begin with because she mm. was rescued off the streets of beirut lebanon holy cow really (laughs) yeah and and by the way if you want to honor michelle as a listener you could donate to beirut or animals lebanon is what it's called animals the organization is called animals lebanon they're a very Mm -hmm. small organization i think it's mainly just one woman Mm -hmm. who goes around finding cats that are abandoned or feral or you know needing adoption and they bring them to the states wow um, or just other countries that will take cats maybe even in lebanon as well but and i don't know if you remember the big explosion that happened in beirut not too long ago yes i do remember it yeah their offices with all their animals was close enough that it blew out the windows, and a lot of the animals were injured and were ble- uh-huh. bleeding, and uh-huh. and so they need extra money to kind of heal the, this is a while ago, but, yeah. you know, to renovate the facility, and
1: yeah.
0: anyway. Um, but yeah, so, so getting to your question, Sasha, yeah. as Bob was saying, when you know, he's being triggered, when you're crying, he's being triggered, and yeah. what is being triggered? Well, for a lot of People, uh, men included, they have been shamed for their own crying. We've all been shamed for crying when we were young. It's hard not to shame your children uh, when they cry, um, at least occasionally, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they might be children might be crying about you know you didn't buy me that Pokemon and and they're crying and you're as a parent you're just like I've told you a million times I can't afford it and. Uh, I already bought you something last week. Remember how we talked? Like, there's a a rational way of responding as a parent that can feel very shaming as a kid, even though it's not overtly shaming. You know, as a kid, you're just unbridled. It's like, but I want it, and you can get it for me, and you're not getting it for me, and now I'm crying and I'm sad, and and uh, you know, parents can handle a lot, but it that can be hard to handle. Sure. You know, under the best of circumstances, if you're like the Buddha or something, you're able to be like, you know, I I hear you, and I see your pain, and I'm with your sadness, and let's talk about it. You know, most parents are just like, look, I'm dealing with your two other siblings, and I'm carrying groceries, and your father has been working 60 hours a week, and fuck you about this new Pokemon, okay? Like, I bought you—I I can't afford it. Like, I, I'm I've been having a hard time paying— for your your goddamn food. So can you please just move on from the Pokemon? Like you're Mm going to live, you know, at least that attitude from a parent. Right. And so we've all gone through that. And so as an adult, we might be in a constant state of shaming our own emotions, including crying. And when we're beating ourselves up for that, then we will beat other people up for it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'll say about that. All right. Uh, patron Sophie from California says, is there such a thing as separation anxiety as an adult? It has gotten better over the years, but I remember in college I had a really hard time saying bye to my ex. Sometimes I would literally try to avoid it like the plague and would sleep over at his place just so I didn't have to part from him. I haven't had that extreme feeling for several years now, but but that my, but now that my new boyfriend is leaving the city for his next medical ro- school rotation, I am feeling tremendous separation anxiety again. We're committed to each other, and I know he's not going to leave me. Is this my preoccupied attachment style, or is, or are there other potential things coming up? Bob, what do you think?
1: Well, um, I don't. Does it matter what you label it? Like maybe um, it's worthy of your attention, anyways. Like this is scaring you. Can your relationship, do you want your relationship to be a source of comfort and support for you in your fear? Or do you tell yourself, I've got to get my act together because I can't visit this anxiety on him. That's not fair. He's a good guy. He's blah, blah, blah. And then it's all this shameful, invalidating stuff that, you know, we say to ourselves. um, do Do you want to have your relationship be a source of comfort and support for you? Whether, let's say it is separation anxiety. Do you want you guys and have your relationship be a source of comfort and support for you in that anxiety do you want it to be it doesn't mean that he's responsible for making you feel better but it is real if you're having it then it's real um not the risk isn't real the risk of the relationship isn't real but the anxiety you feel is real and the horror stories you tell yourself are sure compelling right because who's aren't um would it be okay if if you guys loved and cared for that part of you
0: yeah yeah Anonymous patron says, how do I address deep self-hatred that seems resistant to therapy? When I was young, I endured prolonged physical and emotional abuse at home. I have been making progress in therapy for several years, but cannot seem to learn to love or even like myself at my core, no matter how much I try. I have deep self-hatred. Do you have any tips for how to address deep self-hatred that seems resistant to therapy? What have you seen work well for clients like me, where abuse was so normalized that they don't know how to be any other way? I would really appreciate hearing
1: Kirk and Bob's opinions on this. Bob, what do you think? I'm sorry. I feel really sad uh, hearing what you're saying, and I relate to it um, personally. And I'm sitting here thinking about, well, you know what's the therapist hat in me? And what's the Bob hat in me? What are the, what do I say? I wonder, so part of me is thinking, I wonder if you want to make friends with the part of you that hates, like, who is that person inside? Who is this? What is that part of you? Why? What makes it so important for that part of you to have hatred? It's, I, I believe that these parts of ourselves are trying to serve a survival function, and I think it has to do with shame, where if I'm the bad guy, then um, it's easier to survive the situation than if I think I'm in a dangerous situation where other people are actually the problem. That's um, I think the biological survival function of shame for children is to just believe that they're bad or wrong. And perhaps that's how um, your mind, I think it's how my mind, um, um, has learned to um, survive Meaning that it's
0: more safe to believe there's something wrong with the self than with the parents. Because
1: if something's wrong with the parents, then you're truly flapping in the wind. Yes, that's far more terrifying than if there's something wrong with me. And I can actually probably do something about me at least a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, And if something's wrong with me, my parents will make up for it
0: because they're gods. Yeah. You know? Right, they'll they'll, right. they'll accommodate my right. faults or, or right. they'll pick up the pieces where, you know, I'll, I'll make mistakes and they'll right. the perfect gods that are my parents, you know, they'll, so yeah. Interesting. Right.
1: So I like the idea of getting familiar with the part of me that has the hate that says those, you know, mean, mean hateful things inside. I like that. And I also think, um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, Be a Pollyanna and say, "Oh, it's all going to get better." I don't know if it's going to get better. I think the best I can do with myself is keep chipping away at it. So, would you 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 call yourself someone who
0: has therapy-resistant self-hatred?
1: Yes. How so? Mm, Let's see. How so? I frequently believe that I'm a burden. I um, often tell myself that I'm not safe. Even though there's evidence to suggest that I am, you know, lots of consistent experience with my therapist um, that says that I am. And he'll ask me this. It's like, Bob, do you feel safe? You know, or no, actually what he'll say is, Bob, are you safe? And um, I know the the truth is I am like, you know, Um, but um, there's a part of me that thinks I've got to be really careful. I've got to mind my P's and Q's or else, you know, I'm just a hair's breadth away from being rejected again. So, um, I, um, I think I, I probably, um, distort, I have a distorted self-image and I think I'm probably, uh, um, overly, I don't love saying it this way, but it's best I can do right now, overly hard on myself, um, about stuff that, um, isn't even necessarily happening between yeah. you and me.
0: And a self-hatred, like there's something deeply wrong with me. I hate myself. I don't know know if I've heard you say that, like, I hate who I am
1: kind of a thing. Yeah, sometimes I feel that way, and there's certain parts of my life that I probably can't talk about here, too personal, but um, where I feel that kind of self-loathing, yeah. Like, uh, if if I was just a different person, or... What the fuck's wrong with me? Like,
0: of of course everyone hates me, because... This is completely rejectable. If this cat
1: gets out of the bag, it's all over.
0: Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Even though rationally you understand that's,
1: that's not rational. have been a therapist for 30 years. I've heard probably most of what there is to hear, and I've never heard anybody say anything that I thought was so heinous as to just be flat out rejectable. But um, You're an my, exception. Yeah. You're the brain. one
0: person on the planet that deserves to hate oneself.
1: I don't want to say it with all the hubris that's involved in that but I do get stuck <laughs> in that stuck in that kind of thinking. Yeah. 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 Is that is is that
0: a, um Albert Ellis kind of way of saying it? Yeah, you're the one person on the planet.
1: Oh, that sounds like an Albert Ellis. He could be kind of kind of
0: mean. Mean. <laughs> yeah.
1: I did you see that video of him and the other therapist, the Carl Rogers yeah. and the whole comparative thing? Oh, he's such a jerk. Yeah. I mean so I th- he's well meaning I think. Yeah. Of course. I mean most therapists want they become therapists because they want to help people. Yeah. But he's such a rigid pompous jerk at least in the in that video that and he's young. I I can imagine, you know, a person mellows with age. Um is he still alive? I think he might be a passed on he's got
0: to not be with us yeah. anymore. I mean maybe he's he, but but and then you match him up
1: with Carl Rogers and oh. then you, you just like you, no one can compare to that. No, so. everybody's favorite grandfather. That's embodied right there in Carl Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh so it's treatment resistant because you've been to a lot of therapy and you've known about it a long time. Yeah. And you try to counter it with a lot of self-love, but you still have a pretty sizable dose of self hatred. Yeah, yeah. So and all the avoidance that goes with it. So what do you say to this anonymous patron? Uh, it sounds like they're demoralized. They're like, I've been to therapy a lot. You know, she she says, I've been making progress in therapy for several years, but cannot mm-hmm. seem to learn to love myself
1: at the core, no matter how much I try. Uh, what do you say to that, patron? Maybe your setting your sights pretty high. Um, is it possible to become friendlier with yourself at least? Do you want to be curious? I want you to be, I should say this, I want you to be curious and interested in the part of you that has the hatred. I'd like you to make, try to make friends with that part of you. It's just trying to help you. Um, and I get that you don't want to, you don't want to hear it, you're tired of it, who wouldn't be? Um, if if somebody walked behind me all day long and said mean and critical things about me, I'd want to turn around and smack them. Well, what's your self-hatred trying to tell you? It's just trying to keep me safe. Don't do things that step off the path. Stay on the straight and narrow, and people won't reject you. And it won't be. Uh, then it'll be okay,
0: and they won't hurt you. Yeah. Don't. Yes. I'm going to preemptively shame you because if I don't, you're going to get loose with your behaviors. Yes. And and you're gonna you're gonna bother someone. Oh. And, and you're gonna burden someone. Yep. And then they're gonna get rid of you and then you're going to be yeah. alone. So it's a, it's a preemptive shaming right. to, to pre-emptive. protect you. Right. So a like a, like a, like a mom that says, you're not going to wear that when you leave the house. Are you right? Like that is not, that outfit is ridiculous. Um, the, the parent is like, it's coming from a place of love. <laughs> Presumably yeah. if, uh, you know, I want my child to be, to have a happy life and it, depends on being liked by other people and not rejected <laughs> by it. and so my shortcut here is to shame the crap out of their outfits yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> when i was in seventh grade i'd take latin i won't bore you with all the details about that but i did not like taking latin but Wait, you did went I to think...
0: catholic school when you were a kid
1: no i went to public school why would you have to take latin exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyways um uh, one morning I got up early, and I. That I seems had, like
0: an East Coast thing, uh, t- to be honest. Like, probably I, is. Yeah. yeah. Did they
1: have Latin out here?
0: I don't. I don't. I you didn't never know heard anyone. Of public did. school? No. No. Catholic no. Pu- yeah. Public school. No way. No. Yeah. We just had yeah. German, mm-hmm. French, mm-hmm. and Spanish. Yeah.
1: They started foreign languages with uh, people, kids in our district in ninth grade, but for certain kids coming out of elementary school, they stuck them in Latin uh, in seventh and eighth grade. And then you, you didn't. Nobody took it past eighth grade. Do you still remember any Latin? Not much. A little bit. Yeah. A e pluribus unum. Uh,
0: from many, one. And what? What's another? Isn't there like an s to s? Isn't, isn't a lot of legal terms? Yeah. Like uh, uh, what's the um, what do they say? Like the the body. The body is oh, here. Habeas corpus. Yeah, habeas corpus. Mm-hmm. That's Latin. Yeah.
1: Uh provide the body is that what it means like drink? i I think them I don't actually know what it means, but I understand there might be some sort of weirdness around what does that actually mean? Maybe that's in legal terms it's it's a little bit vague about what it means, but it probably does have a literal Latin translation, yeah, yeah. anyway, so you're taking Latin, taking and Latin, and one morning, I get up early, and there's this girl in my Latin class that I have a crush on, so I decide I'm gonna iron my pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, i never ironed my pants before i see my mother do it i see my father well, do wait that. so
0: where did that idea get into your head like well, they that were wrinkled <laughs> so you're thinking uh, if i really want to impress uh-huh. like where did that come from was that like from john travolta in staying alive like oh good question like, i have no what idea. what image in your head did you have of like the
1: the suave dude with the pleated well ironed pants ironed corduroy pants i don't even know i don't know so but i do i get up early and i i try my best to iron my pants but i don't really know how to do it and i'm like running the iron of this cloth and it's like all you know lumpy or whatever and yeah I'm running it seems the iron like over.
0: corduroy would be not pleasant to iron it, uh, especially 70s corduroy that yeah. was like serious serious high whale or large whale what are they called corduroy isn't it whale
1: is that what it is? I never yeah, heard of that I think
0: before. like large whale is like when the little the corduroy cords. like cords
1: are really big. Thicker. Large whale corduroy. Anyway, large whale. So you're well, ironing your pants. I did my best. I come to school. We're standing outside the classroom. It's that girl and another friend of mine and my teacher. And I said, "Yeah, I ironed my pants this morning." <laughs> the teacher said, "Where?" <laughs> <laughs> And I was just mortified. Let's see. Why am I telling this story? Oh. um, Self-hatred? Yeah. I was really... I was mortified. I was embarrassed. And I felt, like, really ashamed of having tried to iron my pants and done a bad job at it. And uh, let's see. Somehow it linked to this um, thing that we're talking about. But I actually think I lost my thread. Oh.
0: What was I saying? Oh, because I was talking about how parents will shame their kids for leaving the house. Right. And then uh we will do that to ourselves right. as not a self protection right. for yeah so in that moment you're you probably shamed yourself for trying or failing to, yeah. to to iron your pants and then and it's not because you're a bad corduroy ironer it's because the shame is trying to
1: fix your problem of rejection yeah it's trying, trying to fix my problem of reaction. So, yeah. what I learn is, don't say anything about ironing your clothing. Don't ever talk about that. And um, um, if you are going to do it, don't do a bad job at it. And beat yourself up
0: along the way so that you stay on course and yeah. sh- you know don't don't make a mistake. Yeah, yeah, Vanity yeah. So, that, that, that I think that could help someone with self hatred that seems to persist. Is to allow it in a little bit of saying, it's trying to it's trying to help you. It's not yeah. it's not helping, but it's it's trying. Yeah. And the solution is in that perspective, which is well. If I have acceptance from people in my life, then well. So tell me, Bob. Like you're saying that the self hatred is strong in you, and the but. You know, you have a happy life a lot of the times, right? Yeah. And the self-hatred doesn't crop up. Maybe it's maybe that's what it is. It's like it's still there, but hmm. you manage to build a life of security and happiness and vulnerability and trust. So the self-hatred doesn't have a chance to manifest as often. Is that?
1: I don't know. I don't think so. It's still there plaguing yeah. you? Yeah, I'd say it's still there plaguing me. I, um, I don't like saying no to what you're saying because that's too big. That's like a blanket yes-no binary thing. It's less. I can say that. It is definitely less. I'm a lot easier with myself than I was when I was younger. Um, mm, I'm softer, kinder. I think some of that comes with age. Hopefully some of it comes with you know maturity or whatever experience. Um, but like right now, uh, yeah, I you, second- I, you trust me,
0: right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you don't have a reason to loathe yourself. So no. even though you can acknowledge, right. like, yes. oh, yeah. I definitely have that potential, and right. it's definitely down there. It's right, not right, triggered now. Right now, I'm not no. feeling. So it, it's a matter of building a life such that it's just not as triggered as often. Maybe it's there. But it's it's managed more better so that I don't feel it as often. Where I'm guessing there are chapters of your life where you felt it all day, every day.
1: Yeah, there have been chapters when it's been like that. That's true. Um, You know, I I have friends that are like family to me that I know love me. That I feel really like a member of the group and a member of, you know, like a welcome um, a welcome. Um, presence um, and I'd say I don't feel I don't feel um, shame like that but I'm probably pretty limiting like the other day uh, we were having an outdoor kind of get together and uh, our friend Beth was there and she said to me how are you Bob and I looked at her and I knew she was really asking me something so I was honest with her and I said well today I'm kind of sad and she said, "Why?" and I'm like, "Oh, you just stepped in it now you're gonna have to fucking talk about it, or something, and I didn't want to talk about it, and I'm very good at diverting, so I actually found a smooth way to let that go or to you know get out of that um but I don't I think it's like if I talk about it, it's gonna get too much, it's gonna get too big, it's gonna get too embarrassing, it's gonna get too much like attention, and I'll probably be unclear about what I'm gonna say." and maybe this isn't exactly self-loathing it's more like just terror um um uh, but i'll be you know weird and um vulnerable and i won't know i'll i won't be able to manage my um how i'm how i'm perceived because i'm um i can't pay attention to that and uh talk about why i feel sad at the same time so like it all feels like you know stand at the edge of a cliff and are you going to jump or not like neither option feels all that good i don't want to jump but at the same time you know whatever so um that's not exactly self loathing but i it's somehow connected but i i probably can't i probably can't say how i think that's connected right now but but i i don't want to um dismiss what you're what you're saying to me like bob don't you have periods where you're not plagued with it yeah absolutely Absolutely, yes. I mean, I guess that's just hopeful uh,
0: thinking on my part. I, yeah. I I just, so I didn't, I don't know if that was true, but yeah, I would certainly true. hope, because it doesn't seem like you self-loathe all the time, but I wouldn't see your self-loathing necessarily.
1: Yeah. You know, with work lately, the thing that I keep coming up against and I keep trying to relax into is I'm not actually responsible for... What happens? I think I can get kind of caught up in work thinking I've got to effect a change here. You know, I've got to make sure I've got to get something to happen here. And I think I I lose perspective um, um, where my well-being, my okayness is based on what happens with my clients. It's not very good for for my clients for me to get wrapped into that too tight. So I'm constantly stepping back from, Bob, take a breath. You're not in charge of what happens. You know what to do, so do what you know to do and stick with that and let that be the thing that has an impact or not, because you're actually okay even if you don't help. Like, you want to help and you're going to try your best to help, and you know a lot. You've done a lot of training. Okay, fine. But you're, you maybe, it would be unrealistic to think that you're going to be helpful with everybody. That's, that's yeah. probably not true. Yeah. So, yeah, because, because,
0: in contrast, you have a lot of self-confidence in your abilities as a therapist. Yeah, both. both. I can have both, yeah. And uh, how do those interface in your body, the self-confidence and the self-hatred? Well, that's a good
1: question. Let's see. How do those interface? They seem more like opposed to one another. Uh, like I either have one or the other, like two sides of a coin. You know, you're never on both sides. You're always on one or the other. You'll flip between one mode yeah. or the other. Yeah, yeah, that. Um, I'll tell you, it's really relieving in my best moments when I can just take a breath and relax and not be have to not tell myself that I'm responsible for, you know, everything that happens. I have responsibilities for some things, but not everything that happens. Um, that feels a lot better, but it also feels kind of, um, like, is that really true? Or am I just blown smoke? You know, like it's some ways it's like the safe place is the place of believing that, Oh, it's all my fault or I've got to do something about it or I'm really responsible for, it. you know, that's like, the really um uncomfortable but that's the safe place kind of out of habit. Like if like if you're a kid grown up in that you sort of make yourself be the one that's I'm responsible for you know, all the distress that's going on around here or the bad things that are happening. So I think that's the adult version of the same mechanism. Mm.
0: So you're saying that when you were a child it was safer to shame the self than to think that your dad was Oh, yeah like yeah.
1: an insufficient parent. Yeah, I think that's sort of... We're sort of humans, I think, are made with that predisposition that if you grow up in that circumstance... Do you that's... remember
0: making that choice when you were five? Like, I'm at a crossroads. Uh, it's my fault.
1: The choice. I certainly got the message because um, I was told that in direct and indirect ways. Well, I guess
0: I... Well, so I guess the opposite would be more the the contrast. Did you ever have a crossroads when you were quite young, I mean, not a teenager, like, you mm-hmm. know, five to seven, and you're thinking, wait, I think this is my dad's fault and not my fault. I think, I think I've think i been led to assume that I'm to blame for all this, but I'm pretty sure this is all my dad's problem. No,
1: I never had that kind of insight. Not because even once?
0: Like, something's wrong with that guy at the age of five or seven. Did I you- never... Had that thought. So it was assumed, like, if something's yeah. going wrong, my fault. Yeah. Wow. The, That's incredible, because he, he was horrible. Yeah, in lots of ways, yes. And, and so, but, of course, it, you know, it makes sense. It's not a foreign idea to me, but but to hear it out loud from you is... Um, upsetting (laughs) that no one was there to be like, you know, it could be your dad, you know, it's, it's part
1: of the issue. I was, I, I am constantly amazed by people that have had that kind of insight when they were young. That is fascinating to me and starkly different from, from my experience. I mean, that is just a
0: fucked place to be, man. Like everything that's going wrong is your fault. Like all the abuse and all the, yelling and the pain and the fear and the blame and the criticism. It's just like, yep, that's on me. Mm -hmm. Fuck. I'm the terrible person. Mm Yeah. I deserved that one. Finally, I was a better person like every day. That is unrelenting.
1: When I was in fifth grade, we were doing our guidance counselor showed up in the class and we were doing this sit in a circle thing. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but, there was this question that was asked and my response to it was, um, someone said, well, what do you, you know, I think it was like, well, what do you want? And, um, everybody went around him and everybody said something about what they wanted or something like that. And, uh, um, I said something like for my dad to be satisfied with me. And I felt sad when I said it. And I remember afterwards, um, one of my classmates came up to me after school. She was walking home. I was walking home and she said, you know, we heard what you said and we feel really sad. And I didn't understand why she felt that way. And then the guidance counselor. So at the time you're thinking, what do you, what, what do you mean? Why were you confused by this, by
0: the statement? Like you couldn't relate. You couldn't be like, why is that sad? I don't understand.
1: I think it was weird to be visible to be seen and then to, for somebody to reach in and make a personal comment as if you, you know, mattered or as if I mattered, as if I exist. Yeah. That's been a thing that's been really hard for me is to actually know if I exist outside of my utility, which is, you know, on the one hand, it's sort of delusional, but on the other hand, it's, it's as visceral as, you know, I don't know, the air in this room that I'm in, I can feel it on my skin. Do I, do I exist? Am you can I... physically feel the question, do I exist? Uh-huh. Whoa. Yeah. What does that so, feel like? What's it Well, let's see. What does it feel like? It it feels like nothing. Like like not nothing, but it feels like there's like I am nothing. Like I there's a nothing. There's a, like my nerves aren't connected
0: to the world or something. I, yeah I'm, not, I'm like ethereal and yeah. like a ghost and Yeah. Yeah. Like, like like you're in you're in um
1: back to the future and your arm is starting to
0: disappear kind
1: yeah. of thing. It's it's like that. It is. Yeah. It's like that. Like I have that question frequently, do I exist? Um it, you know, it's more intense at sometimes than other times. And um we we were doing this practice in the skills class i saw this one it's there's a bunch of practices that are printed in that book it's really there are many of them really interesting and and useful and this one was in there and i'm like "Ah, that one's dumb so let's use it so the the what it was was you choose your five senses and you say something like the following like one thing i see so i see the window and then you flip it and you say the window sees me right i hear the bird the bird hears me I feel the air. The air feels me, and you know, I, smell and taste are kind of weird. So you can do it if you want to, but it's sort of like I taste my mouth. My mouth tastes me. You know, it's kind of like it gets it gets a little weird, it's like hard to. <laughs> but what I what I noticed when we did it is first, my my impression was this is going to be dumb, and what it actually felt like was swaddling. It felt mm. like being you know like babies feel safe when they're swaddled and they're sort of wrapped up in a little bundle. Mm-hmm. You know, they feel like they're contained that's what it felt like me to to think oh the the bird actually can hear me it's cuz i'm here and the air i i actually displace air in this room right like like i i'm not a wispy ethereal cloud i actually have a take a physical space hmm. in 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 right now in this room or wherever is that
0: because you weren't swaddled physically i don't know or is it an
1: emotional that...
0: escape of, if I don't exist, then I can't be hurt or something?
1: Good question. I, I've i always equated my existence with my utility. Yeah. Like, I am a set of usefulness. Like and that, that that points in the
0: direction of emotional swaddling neglect. Is that what that is? Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, because yeah. everyone as a child feels at least some self-esteem and usefulness, like I'm, I'm useful because I put away Mm -hmm. my toys or something, but we also feel hopefully more fundamentally like we matter that people care about us and love us and they see us, they're impacted by us, not just as, you know, utility machines, but also as people who have needs and wants and, you know, like, This is getting into kind of some weird territory for my brain to understand, but Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, you're three years old and you're like, I want to have chicken noodle soup, and you know, the the notion of another human being going like, Oh, I hear you, and I see you, and that repetition, you begin to feel like you exist in the world, yeah, and then without it you don't feel like you exist and it manifests physically in feeling like you literally just don't exist. Like your body is, isn't even in the world. You're just this utility perception
1: robot that, you know? Yeah. 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 I feel like that a lot of the time. And, um, the thing that I work on, I think probably I work on two things in therapy these days. One is, we we call it being in my body, like um, um, uh, something like that. I don't know if that's exactly the term that he would say. But like, what is my physical experience right now, you know, while we're talking to each other over the Zoom call or whatever? That's one thing. And what do I want? And also, what does it feel like to express what I want, which is really hard. Like I get, I just fill with shame, confusion, um fear want to retreat run away from um not say um like it always feels like uh well it just feels really uh scary and also confusing like i don't i don't i don't know what i want i don't and lately i don't want to go to therapy which you know i'm pretty candid about he'll say do you want to be here and i'm frequently saying i don't and then we lately we were sort of Defining want a little more broadly, like there's a couple kinds of want. There's the I want, like I want a pizza. And then there's the I want, like, I want to become a doctor someday, which means I'm going to go through, you know, all the hoops that a person jumps through. And some of them are uncomfortable, but it's because I have this... Outcome that I am seeking, right Right. along those lines. I don't want to feel the pain and anxiety of being in therapy,
0: but I do want the end result. And so, yeah. So, thus, I do, I do want to be here. I do
1: want to be here, but but I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it's important to be able to say that I don't want to be here. It doesn't negate that I have a purpose for being there, and I do want to be there. But the truth is, it seems like it's important for me to just be able to say it and have it be acceptable. Yeah, I don't really want to be here today. I don't want you to look at it. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to talk to you. I don't, this feels yucky, confusing, awkward. I can't orient. I, I don't know what's happening. Like it's like that way. Because you're
0: used to being utility machine. I think so. Yeah. And And if, and if you're sitting there being perceived and cared for, there's, you're not, you're not being, you're not being utilitarian for someone else.
1: No. And he's like saying essentially, Oh, so you'd like chicken soup. Oh that's what it's like to like chicken soup, yeah, like I think in some ways that's that's what that's what therapy is these days is um the kind of um, mirroring i suppose that um you know we require when we're little to kind of uh circumscribe a set of, a sense of self yeah
0: so yeah self hatred yeah, feeling like you don't exist when when people talk about the emptiness that people will feel with certain personality disorders, is that what you're talking about?
1: That's a great question. I don't know. You know, that's in the the DSM when they talk about borderline. They say, uh, you know, a sense of emptiness. I've never understood exactly what it means. Yeah. And I've never related to it, like, just on the face of it. Well, the clients
0: I've worked with will describe it as thus. And it's varied, but... Mm-hmm. And it's similar to what you're talking about, I oh, think, okay. but, but different. And the way they'll describe it is when they look inward, you know, normally they're very outward focused. You know, they're really focused on what other people are doing and making sure they're pleasing other people or making sure they're hypervigilant about what's going on. And then if forced to or something happens and they look inward, they they don't see anything. They they don't see any emotions, they don't see any needs, they don't see any person, mm-hmm. they just see emptiness. And it, it feels very scary, mm-hmm. as if they don't even exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I haven't heard what you're describing. I mean, what you're describing is like pseudo-dissociation on a certain level, mm-hmm. but not. I wouldn't characterize it as that. Mm-hmm. But if I was to categorize it, I, I would categorize it in the disorganized emptiness Feeling. And the way I've always interpreted it was there is something there. It's just you don't have access to it. And it's sort of like when some people will take hallucinogens and they become uh, disconnected from their normal cognitive uh, touchstones. And even though nothing horrible is happening, really, because it's just a perceptual strangeness and it'll wear off over time it's terrifying Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we if we're untethered from our normal touchstone we don't know what's beyond the the abyss and so when one looks inward and they don't know who they are because they've never developed a connection with who they are because no one helped them when they were three years old it it feels very scary because it's it's like what there's nothing to grab onto. There's nothing to hold onto. There's nothing there. Um, whereas if I'm focused outward and I'm pleasing other people or I'm hyper vigilant about other things or I'm distracting with substances or I'm distracting with this compulsive here, yeah. then that's a touchstone that I can, I can, I know that I can grab onto it. Right. It, does this resonate with what you're talking about? I don't know.
1: I could see it resonating and not resonating. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I wouldn't have said empty, but um, I'm, some of what you're describing, yeah, that that fits for me. I think it's sort of along the lines of, at least, maybe different language for um, a lot of what I'm a lot of what I'm describing. Yeah, and um, the the other
0: experience that I've heard people talk about is when they're pushed to a limit where their defenses don't work anymore, and they are left completely alone, and they're looking at themselves or they're sort of experiencing the self in its most purest form, you know, like I think a lot of us have this where we're stressed or we're alone or we're scared or we're hurt and we don't really feel like we can run to anything to solve our problems. You know, there's, there's no, there's nothing, there's no solution. We just have to sit there and suffer. Maybe we're in pain or something physical, obviously emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And the person will, almost fall into the abyss they'll feel like they're falling into the abyss and all the and they go from 10 to like a 25 you know and 10 is like the upper limit and they they fall into the abyss and they're just like in utter utter despair and i actually can relate to this when i was four years old i remember having a feeling like this or maybe two. Or I was really young, and I was playing with my stuffed animals. And I remember, and I'd, before I'd fall asleep, I'd always play with my stuffed animals. And I remember something weird. I was, I would role play. You know, I'd, I had like this imagination, I, and I, I had imaginary friends, and I had this one kind of psychedelic uh, elephant with a pouch, and it was the biggest, sort of dominant uh, figure in the, in the. <laughs> menagerie of three or four different stuffed animals and i remember something really horrible happening emotionally and i remember falling into some kind of emotional hole mm-hmm. and it was horrifying and mm. i and i've heard that from people too when they as adults will be pushed into a corner and they'll describe it as a feeling of emptiness you know they they fall into this abyss emotionally and there's no way out. And it, it's just like utter, utter despair and utter, utter sadness and utter, utter loneliness and demoralization and um, and terror and panic and all rolled up into one. And people will sometimes describe that as
1: emptiness, too. Mm-hmm. Does that relate to at all what you're talking about? Yeah, I had a moment like that about six months ago. Really? Yeah. It was fucking awful. Um Yeah, we calling to me we were in a fight and uh um she um went into the bedroom and shut the door and it wasn't like she just went in the bedroom and shut the door. Like my experience was like she just went in the bedroom and shut away like sh- like that's it. And, uh, I remember coming into this room, this office and sitting on the couch, like freaking out, um, you know, all jittery. Like we get when we're panicked and thinking, I I have no, I don't even know if there's enough air to breathe in this room and I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to survive or, um, I, um, I found myself just pleading for her uh, to come back. You found
0: yourself, meaning that amidst the chaos internally?
1: I was in the office, and then the next thing I remember, I was. Like, you don't remember what happened? I remember what happened, oh yeah, yeah, I do. I remember what happened. I remember feeling so desperate that um I went to the bedroom door and she had it locked, and um she wouldn't respond to me and I remember um pleading with her and um I ended up laying down on the floor in front of the bat in front of the bedroom. Um, pleading with her to come open the door and um, I felt um, desperate and humiliated at the same time Um, and when she came to the door and she opened it and she found me there that was embarrassing Um, and she just kind of reached down and took my hand and pulled me up and we sat on the bed and I said to her, I think this is what I really am way down inside is, um, this absolutely terrified, uh, that you're going to go away and everything else is just like a front. That sounds well or like an it's... a an adult way of saying it, <laughs> yeah or or avoiding uh my fear of the abyss, right, yeah, it felt primal to you that moment,
0: yeah, like a like at your core, yeah, yeah like, definitely like, like you know close to the center of you, yes, that a lot of things generate from
1: I understand that there are people in the world who at the core, feel okay about themselves and feel, you know, like they're basically okay. Not that everybody doesn't have an insecurity, everybody does, I get it, but that they're basically okay and that the world is basically, you know, um, dependable and not, not there's these people aren't walking around with it, some kind of illusion that the world doesn't have danger and risk in it, but that when I reach for my attachment figure, whoever it is, a partner, a best friend, a sibling or whatever, whoever it is, um, that they'll, be there and that they'll respond right so i'm basically okay and i can basically count on you to be there for me if i need you right and i'd say that that would be a you know pretty apt description of secure attachment that is amazing to me that such a thing um exists that is truly awful because
0: to approach the core of you is terrifying yeah And to approach others is terrifying. Yes. So if I'm utilitarian, then I don't have to do any of it. That's a nice, safe place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a useful robot that doesn't exist.
1: You know, this isn't easy for me to talk about. I'm a little nervous about this being published. Yeah, we can cut it all out. I don't know. I want to think about that because... I, what I'm thinking about is, well, you know, have I re- t- revealed too much about my relationship with Colleen? Because I I respect and want to keep her privacy. And um, the second one is, is this really um, embarrassing? Uh,
0: yeah, it's up to you. I'll just yeah.
1: tell you from my,
0: just briefly. Um, you didn't say anything about Colleen that was personal. I mean, you said that you got in a fight, and yeah. she went she went to the bedroom to. Yeah um cool off or something and then yeah. when you pleaded with her she was nice to you or at least nice enough and then the part about revealing too much about yourself of course it's you know it's your own uh, gauge Everybody's of that. the limit yeah and i have mine as well and right. but there's nothing you've said in this that sounds to me like beyond a threshold that you haven't crossed before, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I but only, you. you know, the answer to that question. And, and it, it's very easy to cut out, you know, it's very yeah. easy just to be like, okay, we'll just, yeah. I'll just excise from this point forward. It's, it's, it's no problem. I do it all the time. I, I yeah. cut out stuff I say all the time. So <laughs> okay. if, if it's too much for you, but I will say, Bob, you know, friend to friend that I, love you and i it makes me incredibly scared for you and sad for you. You know i i i feel that way often anyway, but <laughs> but i don't know it makes me angry too at your dad. Um it's just a a terrible kind of state to Cause I've been there, you know, you're in a fight and you feel lonely and you're just You're just like, what is happening? And I'm just so, but to feel like, cause you know, the sort of worse it gets for me is just like, well, fuck the world. You know, I'm fine on my own. <laughs> you know? Like, but you can't do that. Like you don't have that. Mm, no, I'm not that way. No, but you don't have that to rely on. You can't say like, well, fuck the world. I don't need anyone. Like it's utter, like, one-year-old unbridled loneliness <laughs> you know what i mean mm. like the way one feels a one-year-old can't say fuck the world you know yeah a one-year-old just just falls into an abyss of like well i guess this is it you know and and, and i and that is um that's horrifying i mean truly horrifying you know you, you were saying earlier like a horror movie it it feels like a horror movie like a legit um hole of terror of emotion of no way out and and i i want to say something to kind of make it better but (laughs) i don't think obviously that's possible but i i I feel you know i I feel extremely bad for you and Mm -hmm. It's so unfair. Like, you're a good person, and you've always been a good person, and you have this condition. You know, it's like you were you were at the poke, poker table of life, and you know you got the shit hand.
1: You know, when I was about, uh, I don't know, maybe thirty-one or two. I was back east uh, visiting my family. My parents had this house in South Jersey, a vacation rental it was for a while. And then it was just this place that they like to go. And it was a nice old house. And uh, we would go there uh, when I was a kid. And they had it till I don't know when. But anyways, we were there and I was in my early 30s. So this is 20 years ago. And uh, it's a Sunday and we're we're packing up to go home. And I don't know what I'm doing. I just sort of put puttering around the house or getting ready or something. And my mother finds me in the hallway and she says, Bob, your brother's crying in the bedroom. And it was my brother, Pete, my oldest brother, Pete, there's four of us and Pete's the oldest. And, um, she, I, I was sort of surprised that it doesn't matter. So I go in the bedroom and he's standing there and I don't even know why he's crying, but he's really, really sad. And so I just put my arms around and I'm holding on to him. And, uh, I don't know who came in next. Maybe it was Lisa. Lisa's my sister. Maybe it was Danny. He's my brother. I don't know who came in next, but whoever it was just sort of grabbed onto us. And then someone else came in. And then someone else came in until it was all six of us. My dad and my parents, my mom and dad and the four of us. Just kind of, everybody's really sad. And my sister... We were kind of all surrounding her and sort of, I guess you could say, sort of swaddling her and still holding them to my brother Pete. And I think about that and I think that nobody in my family has any language to describe the kind of pain that they walk around with, my parents included they just outmatched by the enormity of the stuff that they suffered. And my parents, I know about their history and I know something about the ways in which they suffered and how that impressed, impacted them and, you know, affected their adulthood, et cetera, et cetera, and all that. Right. I know it weren't no rosy picture for them either. But I don't think any of us had any language. But my dad said, as things were sort of settling down, you know, that those waves will come and then they'll go. It's sort of naturally of their own. And he said, I think that's the best thing we ever did. You know, I think he's right. It was like a moment of um, care. But also candor. Even though nobody I don't think anybody could have talked about what was happening, and I don't think any of us really understood it. I think it was just six people with their own pain sort of sharing it together. It's kind your of nice. brother had
0: so much pain that you can relate to, yeah, that it un you know it uncorked the yeah. The bottle and everything came flown out yeah. against his own will and then first interesting that you were the one elected to go in first, by the way. Kinda of interesting. And then everyone else like just gravitated. And then it was like okay, let's do this. So we're all, all in it. we're all in pain. Every and then, single, you know, the next day it was back
1: to the status quo. Yeah. Those are <laughs> That sort of makes sense. I mean, it's not great, but um, we we put our defenses, our armors back on, and um, um, we escape vulnerability, I suppose, especially if we don't have language to, to work with it or um, a sense of enough safety that it were okay to keep having or keep expressing. But you were a child. No, no, I was 31. Oh. 32. Oh.
0: And your dad said it was the best thing that the family had ever done?
1: Yeah. Wow. In a way that's kind of sad, isn't it? A bit tragic.
0: Well, I think any family having that would say it was a big moment, yeah. <laughs> even for families that don't have the histories that yours did. Yeah. But But, yeah, that's an intense story. I've never heard that one before. I've never even heard a story. I've never heard anyone tell a story like that before. I don't
1: think I've ever told
0: anybody before. Really?
1: I might have told Colleen, but I don't think so. Why wouldn't you tell people? It just never came up. It's It's a very personal moment, too, though. I I don't imagine I'd be casual about such a thing. Yeah. I (laughs) mean, your siblings and these people are still
0: around, so I guess maybe. Yeah. But it's a beautiful story. Yeah, it is. Family That's should really... have these things all the time, especially yeah. as adults or, you know, well, not especially, but also as adults. Yeah. This a nice moment. Well, I, I, not to make it about me, but I, I feel oh, no, inadequate no. in terms of, um, I want to fix it <laughs> or make you feel better. And I'm not looking for reassurance, but I'm no. just telling you that that's understandable. You know, I, uh, you know, time machine, maybe I can invent a
1: time machine. go yeah, back, right. and slap your dad around a little bit. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> think he probably needed a kinder hand than he got in life. <laughs> hey, listen, um, it's, it's easy for people to underestimate the power of a compassionate ear. Cause you know, we all think, well, we've got to do something about this or we've got to do something about that or whatever. And you know, Listening and being a a, um, a place where you know you're open to me and you're receptive is doing something. It's doing something really vital to me. So is I, it? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really appreciate that from okay. you. Okay. Yeah, I really okay, I do. don't. Want, I, I don't need any more reassurance that that's all. No, I, know. I get it. I get but, it. But but but,
0: but that doesn't make me feel better, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I I do want to say though that you know if we do keep this in and it's completely up to you i mean my god bob i mean I, i've been here before but i don't think i've been here before if I, if that makes any sense it does <laughs> I, I i've known before but i don't think i've known before or i've yeah. known before but i didn't know it to this depth that's yeah, i've right. known before but i haven't known to this depth yeah
1: yeah and, that makes it,
0: sense and um You know, if we do keep it in, I think it Mm -hmm. is, uh, you lead the way, man. And for the record, I'm crying now, and I was then. uh, I'm affected, you know, it's... um, Yeah, thanks. It's, uh, yeah, it's,
1: it's a lot to mourn. You've been a really good friend to me. And you to me, Bob <laughs> Thanks <sighs> Yeah, you to me Thanks You have to go. Yeah. I got a thing. Right. I'm going to use my shirt as a handkerchief. <sighs> yeah. <really>? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: have my normal handkerchief. Of all the days. I always have a handkerchief. We started recording and I was like, shit, I don't have my handkerchief because, you know, I have allergies. <laughs> I'm always, and of all the
1: days. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's oh, fun. Oh, my God. Oh.
0: The world that to suck. <laughs> Feels good to cry, though. I don't know.
1: You know, I really like. I'm. I really like the potential for us, in our candor with one another, to be able to reach beyond and um, perhaps offer something, you know, useful to the world in this with this forum like we get we get a fair amount of feedback that um um that we are helping others and um i'd say that i as personal as it is and as difficult as it it feels invulnerable as it feels and exposed exposed that's a good word as it feels i'm sort of tempted to just let this one be as it is and let it go out into the world and um with the idea that I think it probably would be, um, helpful, uh, to, to, I know it will be Bob. I know it will be. Yeah. And,
0: but it's up to you, you know, yeah. it, um, you know, but, but, uh, like I said, I, there's nothing you haven't, you didn't, yeah. you've been here in this zone before, yeah. you know, in terms right. of, and, and, and you didn't say anything about Colleen that was denigrating her at all. Like you said, you were in a fight, and she took a break, and you felt sad, and she comforted you, and you recovered, and... Yeah, right, right, right.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, that's cool.
0: And then you and I cried, and I... Cried about it. blew my nose into my full shirt. (laughs) 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 Yeah, golly. I'm probably gonna... We gotta go, but I'm probably just gonna cry the rest of the day, honestly. I. Feels like one of those days. Oh, uh, I
1: don't know underrated. what it is.
0: I, I mean, it's my cat. Um, oh god, yeah, right. And also, maybe it's the pandemic sort of wrapping up or something.
1: Yeah, maybe it's a lot of things, right? Um, <laughs> sort of.
0: I got to finally hang out with my parents tomorrow. Wow, really? At their, at their new house without without masks on, and I don't I don't have to worry about killing them with my breath. You know Right. Be, yeah. I mean my breath is usually terrible but also i could have covid you know yeah right i'm making a joke about my breath i'm actually pretty pretty
1: good about making you're, sure you're, you're,
0: I, you're. I i carry around these listerine strips yeah these are the most intense breath mints you'll ever have <laughs> you know how they say the altoids are are like unusually strong well they got nothing on listerine um, you
1: used to always
0: have altoids, a case of altoids i always, did yeah without fail yeah yeah uh Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you remember that. Yeah, that was in the 90s. Altoids kind of became popular around then. They did. Yeah. Because before that, it was just like Tic Tacs, you know, but then it was like, well, but Altoids, you know. The Curiously Strong breath. Curiously Strong, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean, Mm -hmm. how are you going to feel? I I, I guess I'm just worried about you. Uh, Oh. Are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm okay.
0: Uh, uh, You're like in your regular
1: Bob kind of... I don't know. Like, I... Yeah, you know what? I'm okay. I've got some uh, clients this afternoon. I've got a little time here to take a break. I'm probably going to eat something, and I'm going to find Colleen in the house somewhere and get a hug. And... um, I have um, a facility for um, putting this away. I don't think that's the same as shelving it or compartmentalizing or, you know, uh, doing something invalidating. I think... Um, I just have a facility for that, so I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you don't yeah. have to reassure me in that way. but How about you? Are you going to be okay? <laughs> yeah, I'll be fine. One of the benefits of feeling sad like this for me is that it makes me softer and slower with my clients. So I have a feeling that this afternoon will probably be, go pretty well. So pretty good utility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's mowing down a wow. tree just or something just in time yeah yeah i think they're doing my yard or something all right bob let's let's you just take you care of yourself because you deserve it you deserve it <laughs>